I like pushing myself and like that's one thing about running too like you you can argue there's not a lot a crazy amount of technical stuff like when you get into some of those track events like hurdles and stuff it's crazy technical but you know it's that idea that it's your will versus like what your body's kind of telling you right or you know in some cases like you're, you're fighting against somebody else so just being able to get into a race and say you know what it's time to go and just test your body is what I gravitate towards and like don't get me wrong sometimes I'll do that and I'm like why in the world did I do that I am in so much pain but yeah a lot of the time it's just awesome that that I have the opportunity to do that I'm not necessarily a person who's gonna back down from somebody sometimes I'll be cautious like okay this is not the right time to be making these moves but you know when it comes down to the last little bit of the race if I have something in me I'm going to push hard I'm going to try and dig as deep as I can to finish What's up, Morning Shakeout listeners? I am your host, Mario Fraioli, and my guest this week is Nathan Martin. Nathan ran 2.11.05 at the Marathon Project back in December to finish ninth overall. It was a personal best for him by over three minutes and also the fastest marathon ever run by a black man born in the United States. Nathan broke Hermatkin's mark of 2.11.52, which had stood since 1979. I really enjoyed this conversation and getting to learn more about Nathan. We discussed the newfound media attention he's received since the Marathon Project, signing with an agent, and how he's been adjusting to all of that. We also talked about what his accomplishment means to him and when he realized that it was a bigger deal than he originally thought. He also told me about growing up with six sisters, losing both of his parents to cancer and how their passings shaped his life, why it's important for him to serve as a role model and give back to his community, and a lot more. A big thank you to New Balance for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Growing up in Massachusetts, I drove past the New Balance headquarters on the Mass Pike all the time. Still do, in fact, when I go home to visit my family and friends. And after college, I competed for New Balance Boston, which is now the Battle Road Track Club, prior to moving to California. Bottom line, this is a brand that I grew up around and whose products I've trusted and used consistently over the years. In fact, in 2020, the New Balance Fresh Foam 1080 V10 was my favorite trainer and the model that I logged most of my miles in. And I run in a lot of different shoes, so that is saying something. I was recently able to get my hands on a pair of the new 1080 V11s, and I was shocked to love them even more than I did last year's V10 model. New Balance claims that the 1080 offers the ultimate ride, and I'd have to agree. This is the best fitting shoe that I own and the Fresh Foam X cushioning feels super comfortable underneath my feet. It's lightweight and flexible, but also responsive and durable. Basically, the perfect trainer to log most of your miles in, which is exactly what I do. I wear it on most of my non-workout days and for long runs too. Check out the Fresh Foam 1080 V11 on newbalance.com and consider adding a pair to your rotation today. All right, please enjoy my conversation with Nathan Martin. All 
All right, Nathan Martin, from what I've seen, it seems like a lot of people have wanted to talk to you lately, and I'm glad that you were able to make a place in line for me. Thank you so much for coming on the Morning Shakeout podcast. Yeah, no problem. Glad to be here. Are you tired of doing interviews yet? <laughs> um, I don't know if I'd say I'm tired of doing interviews. I would say that it's um, a lot of this, a similar stuff, so it's the um, kind of things on permanent repeat type thing. Well, hopefully we'll go to some different places here today, even though I know we'll cover uh, parts of your story that have been told elsewhere. But for you, like doing a lot of press isn't something that you're used to. You've done interviews in the past. I found some old ones online. But since you ran 21105 at the Marathon Project, you've been on a bunch of podcasts. I've seen articles about you. Has it taken some time to get used to that and just get more comfortable, like, talking to press and telling your story more frequently oh yeah no like i'm i'm more of a laid-back guy so i'll do stuff and um kind of go about my business so you know when people start asking you well how'd you get here or you know what was your journey like it was like um you know i guess it was good and but like obviously you can't just say that you have to expand <laughs> upon it so um you know that definitely is a learning curve that i think i'm getting better at but i guess we'll see on this podcast have you had to stop at any point over the last month or so and just pinch yourself that you're in this position where people are so interested in your story? Uh, it's insane. Like I never, you know, coming out of a marathon project, honestly, we were just like, Hey, if we post a faster time, maybe we might not have as much trouble getting into races. So to like to come out of it and to even contemplate questioning whether or not I'm going to go on a podcast or not is just insane. <laughs> Well, before we go any further, let's dig into the marathon project. You ran 211.05, three-minute PR for you or thereabouts, um, but more significantly, fastest marathon ever run by a black man born in the U.S. Now that you've had a chance for that to settle in, like, what does that accomplishment mean to you? Um, it's, it's really, it's a lot bigger than I honestly gave it credit for. Um, the biggest thing is just just a reach that I can do with it right. Um, I'm a high school coach, so I'm always looking for ways to motivate my athletes. But even bigger than that, just ways to motivate people in general. And um, definitely for the African-American community, um, marathon running is not very big. That's not generally what we gravitate towards as far as sport. Um, so just to be able to be a representation of, you know, what somebody can achieve is it's just really awesome, and and I'm gonna hopefully you know do my best with it and continue moving forward. But um, definitely use the platform I've created to hopefully do something. Were there any specific instances since the race that just changed your perspective on the enormity of your accomplishment that let you know that it was more significant than you had first thought? Um, yeah, I mean, the, the biggest thing was just the immediate rush of, um, you know, people talking about it, right? Um, initially, it was like, oh, wow, you know, I accomplished something. But after, you know, you have so many people, um, you know, going onto your Instagram saying, oh, congratulations, that's awesome, or reposting your accomplishment, you're like, whoa, I need to step back and realize what I did, because I, something if this many people um, are talking about it, and, um, you know, kind of exploded my Instagram personally. I'm not like, I don't have thousands of fans, but going from like 400 to a 
to a thousand in a few weeks is like, what the heck is going on? Type <laughs> thing. So. Going into the marathon project, how aware were you of Herm Atkins 211.52, which was a mark that he had set in 1979? Oh, gosh. I, I feel bad because I was completely unaware of it. Um, I knew there was like a record out there because a couple people had mentioned it to me. Um, but really, I was just kind of focused on the race itself. And we got into a little bit of trouble at the trials just because of all the pressure of like, hey, trying to make it to the Olympics. And, you know, you have to beat out X amount of people and do this kind of stuff. So I definitely didn't want to kind of bring that pressure into the marathon trials. Um, so we were just focused on trying to hit a good time. So like, you know, hearing the record and then, you know, the research, we kind of did a lot of research afterwards into Herm Atkins and we're like, oh my goodness. And that was even another thing that, that kind of like, you know, put this feeling of importance onto the record. Looking back at it, even after you accomplished it, are you surprised that his record lasted for over 40 years? Uh, yeah and no, like, um, I'm surprised just because obviously, you know, 40 year old record, like that's extremely hard to, to hold on to in any given thing. Right. Um, so like, um, I guess in that sense, I, I'm a little bit surprised, but I'm um, in a whole nother sense, again, kind of going back to it, there's, you know, um, you know, I, I guess I was fortunate enough to, you know, have talents and pursue that but i know so many other athletes in fact there are athletes that you know i potentially almost coached who had an unbelievable amount of talent and um just kind of fell through the cracks because they either gravitated towards other sports or um you know they they weren't the best at school and kind of just never got into sports because of that you mentioned a little while ago how I mean, a lot of guys like you, black men, they're not focused on training and racing for longer distances. I'd love to get your perspective on how do we get more men and women of color just running and competing at longer distances in general? Yeah, so I think the the biggest thing is, is one, uh, representation, right? Um you know, I'm not saying that I have to be some kind of symbol or, or idol or something to look towards, but just having somebody there who's current, who's doing it, you know, motivates people just in general to try and do it themselves, right? Um, and another thing is, it's just like just general outreach. So with my program in general, my whole goal um, for coaching and stuff is to, is to get more people into the sport, not necessarily to make them the next fastest whoever or whatever um but just to showcase the talents that they do have and and making sure that they can uh, you know accomplish more than potentially what they thought they could so are you doing that mostly on a local level where you live in michigan yeah, so um, right now, I mean, the the biggest focus as far as my personal outreach just in general um, is just kind of through coaching. Um, one, I love connecting with kids. Um, you know, I don't know if it's because I just have a more goofy personality when I'm, you know, just casually doing stuff, or um, because I just enjoy seeing that like their the energy they bring to the things they they do, but. Um, that's kind of the the biggest focus I have right now as far as like how I'm reaching out and doing things. I know that you coach high school kids and I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, you also recently started a, a running club close to 
where you live. Are those the primary ways that you're interacting with your community, especially the the kids through coaching and through the club? Yeah, so without a doubt. Um, and we're still trying to get, um, um, which is a Great Lakes Running Club, we're still trying to get it off the ground. COVID hit us extremely hard because we were literally getting ready to launch the uh, club kind of to the public to do more outreach stuff that way. And then poof, COVID hit and we, uh, it kind of shut us down and probably even regressed us a little bit. Um, but yeah, those are the two biggest ways we're trying to do things. And or at least, you know, I guess I'm trying to do things. Um, even I guess I can say we for the um, uh, the club because my coach is involved and my other teammates and stuff like that. But I'd say those are the two biggest ways. Given the difficulties of COVID over the past almost year now, has your vision for what you want the club to be evolved at all? Um, yeah, so it's definitely changed things. Um, just cause uh, initially and, and one thing too, is like, I give a lot of credit to my coach cause he is unbelievably, unbelievably ambitious with, with what he tries to accomplish and what he wants. And, um, so, you know, our, our first goal was like, Hey, we're going to put on a race. We're going to do all this community outreach and that necessarily hasn't changed that much. Um, but it's just, um, we're taking more of an approach of, Hey, let's let's grow the elite side which is initially like the heart of what we're trying to do and see what best fits with everybody and then go from there because if we can figure out what everybody's skill set is and what everybody's comfortable with um we're going to have way a much bigger impact um than trying to take on these huge tasks how important is it to connect elite athletes both on a a local level like where you live where where i live with the general population of runners and then even expanding beyond that just in general for growing the sport and creating excitement around it yeah i think it's very important um, especially if you're in a position of like power or position of where people admire you, I think it's very important to, to connect back and use that to, to make sure that whatever you're doing truly matters. Right. Because I think when people get into this, um, um, they like, I don't know what to call it, like a, a, a star, a star effect. Right. Yeah. I actually know the person, but you know they're good at X thing, and then so you admire them for it. Um, but you know, do you do you honestly know how to achieve what they did? Do you honestly feel like they're investing in you? Um, you know, I don't. I don't believe you do, right? And so that can either create one of two things: you attempt to be like them and fail horribly, um, or you're just like use them to feel good randomly about certain situations. So you know. Um, I don't know how big I actually am. I'm probably not crazy big, but um, I want to make sure I use my platform to just give back and reach people I can just so, you know, I can inspire them to hopefully do the same or, or you know, achieve whatever goals that they have. I love that. And I think within your local community, I mean, I've, I've never been there. I don't know it well, but you can be big in your local community. And I think if we have more of that, certainly around this country, I mean, I think that's really how we continue to generate excitement in the sport, how we can create more inclusion in the sport and, and ultimately just grow it beyond, you know, this, this niche little thing that it is now. 
Yeah, and I think run like because at its base, right, running is the most fundamentally easy thing to do, right? And maybe because of that, people are like, "Ah, hey, I, I want to aspire to do this because it's more flashy." But literally, everybody has the ability to run, so you would think more people into it. So it's like, how do you 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 give that connection to them? So. You mentioned how like people in your community, the kids that you coach, they can look up to a guy like you. And, and I mean, you can be, you know, a, a big star and you can help just kind of close the gap in terms of, you know, relatability and show that you have more similarities and differences in terms of how you got to where you are and what's possible, all that sort of thing. On the flip side, um, like thinking of you as a as as that person in your community, but also you know as a coach, how have the kids that you work with or the people in your community that you typically would interact with often, like what lessons do they remind you of, or what have they taught you over the over the years of connecting with them? Um. Whew, uh a good question i mean the the biggest thing is is that we're we're all different right you know you can't really framework um you know kids into a certain group i mean you kind of can but um you know everybody's trying to aspire to do something different and so you know as a coach it's like how do i bring that out of them or you know listening to people who you know i work with through coaching it's like hey, you, you have something good to say. How do I incorporate that? And so, it, like, from my perspective, it just helps me grow as a person because um, initially when you start something, right, you're you're more of, like, I have these big ideas, but that's not always the case. It's like, oh, wow, I'm, I never looked at it this way, and I probably should adjust my, my goals towards it, so. Let's go back to the marathon project now that you've had a month to reflect on it what was your biggest takeaway from the race my biggest takeaway from the race is um you know i i guess i keep this um ideology that that it's it's the process is way more important than the actual goal right and that probably was the the heart of what happened at the marathon project and so you know seeing that it kind of like is like okay wow i you know i that's how i framework things but like just seeing it play out is like okay that this is why i think the way i do because you never know what's going to happen and you know you can be fixated on one particular thing but um it can produce a whole nother thing and if you're not ready for that or willing to accept it then um, you can digress or you can just miss an opportunity. And so the the biggest thing was it's just that feeling that the, the process is bigger than the goal. Have you always had that process-oriented approach or is it something that you've had to learn over time and a result like you put up at the Marathon Project just reinforces it? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm more of like a, just in general, I'm more laid back. So I, I don't necessarily care if I accomplish something. I, I care an incredible amount whether or not I put in the work to do it. But um, even at races and in, in um, high school, you know, it was it was more about what our team accomplished and whether or not I hit X time. Like, don't get me wrong. I go to races and I want to hit a time and I'm willing to, you know, battle with whoever. 
Um, but it's it's more about, you know, how it affected the people around me, I think, is what I gravitate more towards. So I'm not sure if I answered your question or not. But. No, it, it does. Um, and to continue off of that, I mean, the 211.05 was a three-minute personal best for you. How did that result, to, to focus on the end result itself for a second, how did that change your perspective on what's possible for you in the marathon? Um, so again, I give a ridiculous amount of credit to my coach. He, like his, his ability to vision and believe in stuff and fight for it is, is unbelievable. Like, don't get me wrong. Sometimes that gets into a lot of trouble, but, um, what it does enable him to do is to, to help cast that vision. And so he's all the time letting me know what's possible and how to achieve it. And he'll spend hours on hours just figuring out how to make that work right and so um i guess it, it it's he he was able to cast the vision i guess kind of lost track of the question but well let's pick it up right there talk to me more about your relationship to your coach his name is dante otellini um i know he coached you in college i read that he started coaching you again in 2019 how long have the two of you been working together in total um, since 2008. So he, I, I initially connected with him in um, my junior year of high school. He was at a uh, indoor track meet and I think he went to go talk to my coach at the time. Um, and so he kind of came over, introduced himself to me and one of my friends who was also running at the time. And he was like, Hey, I'm Dante, you know, I'm a college coach. Just hey, feel free to come visit Spring Arbor, this and that, you know, the you know typical spill that a coach will give to, to recruits and stuff. And, um, you know, but like during that whole process of the next year and a half, he just invested a ridiculous amount of time and in, into trying to get me to the school and just asking how I was and all this stuff where as almost every other school that I had any kind of contact was, was through like letters or just randomly seeing them once and them saying a little bit. Right. So, you know, I gravitated way toward way more towards that because it was like, Hey, you, you know, this person is spending all this energy and these people are sending me letters like, sorry, I'm going to go with the person investing all this energy. Have you always felt a fierce loyalty to him? Um, yeah, I mean, in general, like I, I trust him a lot. Right. And, and not to say that, you know, there's not somebody else I wouldn't trust as much, but again, you know, I'll go with the flow. And if I feel like there's somebody worth trusting and believing in, then I'll kind of, you know, follow the path that they think is, um, is best. Like, obviously I have my own goals and things that I'm trying to achieve, but you know, I don't want to be some person who's like so one-sided on things and saying this is the way it's going to happen that I either alienate opportunities or I don't give a, give people a chance to help. How has your relationship with Dante evolved over the 12 years or so that you've known him? 
Um, I mean, it's it's up and down. Like he he's he's changed as a person. Like he like when <laughs> when I say he he's he's a go getter, he was even more so. Um, you know, when I first met them, first met him, and um, to the point where it it rubbed a lot of our teammates the wrong way. Like we had a lot of guys quit. There were a lot of different things he was just trying to force, and ultimately, it's because he was just trying to create the best team he could and have us connect it. Um, so, you know, I had to weather a lot of those different storms, um, just because it was definitely hard at times because I was like, you know what, I don't think is the best way to operate, but, um, whatever, I guess we'll see what happens. And, um, you know, through that, like just his perseverance, it helped me just learn different things about, you know, you know, what's worth fighting for, um, gaining a better perspective of life in general. Um, and yeah, no, it's been really good. So. How about from a training perspective, when you work with someone over that long of a period of time, I mean, you've obviously matured as an athlete, your focuses have changed in terms of the events that you're training for. How has the training evolved along with it? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, my, my coach always had, again, he has big visions for stuff and, um, so his, he, he steadily, um, surely Pretty much he he um, progressed me from the mile all the way up to the marathon um, kind of over the course of like five years. Right. In fact, I didn't even really start the marathon I, or start at the um, mile. He um, I came into college and he was like, you know what, you're really good at the mile, but I, I think you're better at the five. So, you know, I'm like, whatever, I, I think I'm better tomorrow, but you're the college coach, so fine, I'll listen to you and ended up having a lot of success in it. Um, but yeah, he wasn't wasn't done there. He said, hey, I think you have even more potential in the longer distances. So similar situation, fine, I guess I'll trust you and really worked out and kind of that evolution of just having a lot of success and, and the direction he was taking me or telling me to go. Um, you know, just built more and more trust because at that point, I, you know, it, a, a bare minimum, I knew he wasn't wrong given, you know, the times I was hitting. So it just made me trust him more and more. doesn't mean that there wasn't, wasn't certain situations where I kind of disagreed or certain situations where, where it didn't work out, but it just meant that, you know, I was willing to weather the storm pending, pending what happened. So. How about, now as an older adult, I mean, you guys met, you're in your you know late teens, early 20s. Now you're in your early 30s. Uh, you've done very well. Does he seem to value your input more? Do you have more input? Is it kind of more of a partnership at, at this point of your relationship? I'd love to try and understand that a little bit. Yeah. And so again, like the, as far as training goes, I completely trust him. He does ask for my input a lot more than what he did. Um, and you know, the biggest thing is, is he's just trying to help me out however he can in life. Um, so really like, you know, even, you know, with coaching, he's like, well, then how do we figure out a way to make that work? Right. Um, you know, earlier on, it was like, hey, do we like earlier on into my post-collegiate career? Um, it was like, hey, do we just move to a training group? Do we try and get faster? Um, what's kind of the ideology? Like, what what should we do? And 
Um, you know, I, at that point I started falling in love with coaching and teaching and all this kind of stuff. And, and so it was like, well, then how do we make it work? So that's kind of what eventually like bred the, the, um, Great Lakes Running Club is that, that ideology of like, well, if you're going to stay here, how do we make it work? And, and what can we do off of it? Who are some of the athletes that are part of the Great Lakes Running Club that you train with? Um, yeah, so a couple people I train with. So um, Mitch Klinger is one. Um, can, I, I'm not going to do a great job with their PRs, but um, he's like a 217 um, marathoner, a great guy, pretty laid back, similar to me. Um, awesome to train with. He um, He's currently not with the... Um, not with the uh, club right now, but he um, still comes and trains with us. Um, another person um, is Zach. I always mess up. He he just he just joined, but I always mess up his last name. It's Zach um, Wildner, something like that. But yeah, he is a fantastic guy as well. Um, you know, really brings a lot of energy to the um, to the team, and just really strong, hard worker. And then we have a few. Um, we only have one girl, I guess, but she. Pfft, she works crazy hard. Like she'll on easy runs, just be trying to beat us type thing. But name is, um, Cass or yeah, Cassie. So, um, yeah, I don't want to mess up any of their names. So <laughs> does training together in Jackson, Michigan, which is not known as a hotbed for mm-hmm. distance running it, certainly not at the, the professional level, put a little bit of a, a chip on your shoulder or harden you in a beneficial way. Yeah, like, I mean, I, you know, it's not like I'm delusional. I know, like, places like Colorado is one of the best, best place to train, right? Um, But it makes it so I have to make sure what I'm doing matters, right? Because if it was all about time, then I, there'd be no reason for me to stay here, right? So I, I have to make sure that if I am here, I need to know what that reason is. And ultimately it's, it's cause I I'd rather stay connected with people and connected directly um, with helping the people around me than to chase the fastest time I possibly could achieve. So um, yeah, I think I answered your question. Hopefully I did. Yeah. Well, and just hearing you describe that, I mean, it's something that is going to last longer than your competitive career, regardless of how long that ends up going. Yeah, and again, like I mean, I I hope I make some kind of impact, right? You know, sometimes I do a good job and I I connect extremely well, and then other times I'm like, wow, I don't know if that had any kind of impact at all. In fact, it might have had a negative impact. But um, you know, that's the ultimate goal, and you know, I love pushing myself. I love competing, but if I can use it to to generate something more, then then that's what I'm you know hoping to do. When did that happen for you, that moment when you realized that you wanted to generate something more and have an impact on your community, and that was something that was as or more important to you than the results that you put up? Um, so, yeah, just kind of going back, like initially, I I was always more focused on team than necessarily like what what I was accomplishing. Not to say it wasn't cool to accomplish stuff, but I was always more focused and invested in my team in general um, and what I could do to help them out. So um, obviously, when I didn't have the team anymore, then it kind of forced me to say, well, why am I still running? Why am I still pursuing stuff? because it's something to do. 
Um, and so like when we were talking about going to different training groups and stuff, it, it just didn't excite me. It was like, okay, well, I guess I'm going to go to the training group because it's the next step. But um, as soon as I started coaching and teaching, it, I just knew I loved to do that. And um, so it, it kind of developed that feeling of, OK, well, maybe this is what I'm supposed to do with my running is, is to use it as a platform to, to, you know, push people forward. What's changed for you since running 211.05 at the Marathon Project? Have you now been able to entertain sponsorship opportunities? Have races come knocking on your door, inviting you to future events? I'd love to get some insight it, on all that. It's been so insane. Like, I'm going to be 100% honest. I When I initially finished the Marathon Project, I was, like, kind of upset because I'm like, snap. We went into it hoping to break 210, and I just – barely missed even breaking 211 like not upset to the point where i'm like wow this throw this away type thing but upset like oh i was so close like couldn't i have gone like six seconds faster somewhere but um yeah so initially it was like ah but like what it bred was just far beyond what i could have you know ever hoped for ever even saw coming and so like yeah there's definitely talks with sponsorships um i've signed with an agent which is awesome to to open up those conversations conversations and he's very hopeful and um i've had different races um major marathons kind of reach out to me just asking hey you know just keep us in in mind as we start figuring out our elite field and and getting people there so it's been it's been crazy who did you sign with for an agent um i signed with howie um howie kofletsky and howie's a great guy i've had a long relationship with him and have worked with many of his athletes i think he's one of the best in the business why did you choose to sign with his agency uh, so initially we, my, again, my coach is a go-getter. So he was, um, cause he, he had been trying to see if he could get me connected with an agent for like a year or two now. And so, and, and things just kept falling through the cracks. Either I was, they weren't interested or I wasn't fast enough. Um, so he was just reaching out, trying to find different connections and, um, eventually we, we got a connection to Howie and, um, right off the back, he, he kind of called me up and started talking to me and saying, Hey, he's very interested. And, and just the way he presented himself and the energy he had towards just, um, me in general. And it, it, it had this feeling that he was truly trying to help me and not trying to, you know, siphon off my potential. So I gravitated mm-hmm. that, towards that really quickly. Like, don't get me wrong. If another agent for him, I might've gravitated towards him just cause we haven't had um that much luck but um just how he talked just made me feel like it was the right fit and the best thing to do because there was a little bit of hesitation when i'm signing right you're like 15 percent of all my basic potential um we'll see (laughs) if that's a good idea but um i just went back to you know just how his character came off and i said you know what no this is definitely the right move so yeah and he's someone who is very just just true to him himself and honest with his athletes and you know just for from who he's worked with over the years like he's going to work really hard for you to earn that 15 percent commission as well 
Yeah, and and that's the hope. And in fact, I just got a um get out of a conversation with um um just before I was talking with you, and again, it just you know reaffirmed that you know he was the right choice, and definitely glad to be on the team. So, do you feel any additional outside pressure now in terms of topping that two eleven? 05 or like actually signing the sponsorship deal or doing more on social media or anything like that? Um, yeah, there's, there's a little bit of pressure. Um, you know, initially when I broke the record, I was like, and all this attention, I'm like, oh snap, I'm going to have to try and keep this record. What the heck? Um, but and like that faded away. Cause I'm like, no, skip it. I'm going to do my best. And you know, I don't, I'm not going to care about whether or not I can hold the record. Um, but then well, it'd be I, a sign of, <laughs> of great things. If someone comes and breaks that record pretty quickly because it hung around for 40 years until you crushed it. Yeah, no, that would be pretty insane. But like with the state of how, how running's going, it wouldn't shock me because there's so many records falling right now. And, and so I, like, I ultimately knew I need to do a lot more on social media. Um, uh, especially my Instagram account. Like, I mean, I was doing a, a little bit with it in the summertime, but then I started um, cross co- or cross country coaching started. So I'm like, Ooh, this is definitely a big task because this year I became the head coach and it is a night and day difference between being a head coach and an assistant coach is so much more responsibility. So I kind of put it in a back burner, but after all of this, I'm like, Hey, I need to make sure I'm officially posting more because I do a lot of my story, but I'd never actually make a lot of posts. So I'm trying to post a little bit more. Um, you know, for anybody interested, we do have a, um, Facebook group called Nathan Martin's Olympic Trials Countdown, and I'll try and post a little bit more in there. I'll make videos. Um, we've had it for like the last two years, and it basically outlines like all the workouts leading up, just general life stuff, and yeah, me popping in every once in a while just with a video of how the day is going or maybe a recap on a race. So, well, I'll be sure to link to that in the show notes to this episode along with your. Instagram account, but I appreciate you sharing that because for a professional athlete now, it is a big part of your job. I don't want to say right up there with running fast times, but if it's far behind, it's not that far behind. Yeah, no, it definitely is um, something that obviously, you know, you know, that's what, uh, you know, potential sponsors want. They want a good media presence and they want you to be active. You know, some sponsors don't care that much, you know, but most sponsors are going to care about how active you are and then and your influence overall you know obviously you know i i I want my influence to matter um but i definitely want to make sure that um you know any potential sponsors or any sponsors i do get you know i'm helping them out in whatever way i can as well take me back to the olympic trials marathon last February. It didn't go particularly well for you. You finished 69th and 221. Um, we weren't in a pandemic yet. How are you thinking about that race? Yeah. So just leading up to it there, there was a lot of pressure because we, we had came off a fantastic, um, fall racing, um, fall racing just when I did the, the Krim festival racing and went sub 47, 
Um, and then just a week later, went to a 20K and went runner up. And, and this definitely changed the perspective of um, my coach and what he thought I can accomplish and, and even my perspective as well. So it was like, hey, well, how do we gain traction with it, right? And not to say that the time was like nothing, but it still wasn't like quite there to get as much traction as we were hoping for. So my coach was doing a crazy amount to make it generate something. So we're just putting a lot of pressure on ourselves. So um, even going into Olympic trials like that, that pressure showed up in workouts with how much we were trying to do. And that definitely affected my performance just in the trials because we were, we were doing more than what my body probably was ready for. And um, yeah. And so like on top of that as well, uh, just with that newfound ability is like, oh, wow, maybe I do have a shot to, to get to Olympics and, and, you know, maybe I need to fight for it. And so like all that kind of like compound on itself at the trials and, and, you know, it, was, it wasn't a great race for multiple reasons, but I think the, the training and the, the pressure, um, were the two biggest factors that kind of led to how it turned out versus how it could have went. Why was that? pressure there. I mean, you had a great fall leading into it, so I can understand wanting to build off of that momentum, but did you and your coach feel like this was sort of a last shot for you, that there wouldn't be another opportunity? I mean, obviously it's top three, make the team, everyone else goes home, but I'd love to just dig a little bit deeper into that with you. Um, yeah. So like the, the biggest thing was, is like, I had been, you know, struggling to make any kind of actual traction for running for a while. And so when all that stuff happened, it was like, oh, wow, we, we need to capitalize on this. And then on top of that feeling of trying to find a way to capitalize, um, we, we, we now could see a, or I guess see a window where, where I made it to the Olympics and it was like, well, we can't, can't waste that opportunity. And so it, it almost had that feeling like, Hey, we, we have to make it work here or, or bust or like obviously that's not the case but when you're in the moment that's kind of how you feel so we were we were just kind of rushing things and putting a lot of emphasis on certain stuff and it and it kind of like you know showed up in the trials take me to the race itself were you feeling pressure as you were standing there on the starting line and then once you took off running through the streets of atlanta yeah, like it, it, like once you get there and you see all the athletes and you you start hearing what training they're putting in and you start hearing like who's trying to do what, you're like, oh, wow, what the, I think I have a chance. And so that was like, you know, conflicting with me. Plus, I knew my body was a little bit tired and probably wasn't 100%. So it's like, how in the world do I even pull this off? So, you know, it, it was like one of those things where you're, you're, you know, <laughs> holding on for dear life and and you probably should let go of the bar and just you know hope for the best but you're like no i don't care if i you know have a half my body broken i'm gonna hang on for dear life mm -hmm. type thing and and so you know it, it was that kind of mentality and and so it it you know i guess showed up and and you know i again and one of the things too is like you know i wanted to show up and and do as much as I could for all the people who believed in me because there were so many people supporting me um, back just in my general area and who believed in me. So one thing, too, is I didn't want to let them down, and I wanted to do my best. And, 
you know, obviously didn't work out well, but, you know, they still were supportive and all that. So that was good too. When it didn't work out well, did you feel like you had let them down? Yeah, no, I, I was like, wow, what the heck happened? Like, because really what, what ended up happening in the race and like, obviously there are multiple factors, like I'm saying, but, um, we kind of went out relaxed and I'm like, oh, wow, this is a great pace and this is good. We can definitely work off of this. And then out of nowhere, we just started dropping the pace down to like four forties. And it wasn't like, you know, five, 10 guys. It was like, 40 guys just this huge mob and i'm thinking to myself i'm like i don't know if this is a good idea but i just like shut off my brain and said it doesn't matter if you don't do it you're you're not going to be top three so i kind of went with it and you know towards like 10 to 13 miles just kind of implode it and so you know at that point i'm like well i'm not having a great race i'm at least gonna finish it because that's the least i can do and so it was definitely disappointing but um, you know, just all the support I got afterwards and just letting people know I tried my best was, um, was just good because I, I, I definitely didn't want to feel like I completely gave up. Right. Like, you know, a lot of guys, when things, you know, don't go the way they planned, they kind of, you know, drop out of the race. And I knew if I did that, I would have felt 10 times worse. So I just pushed through with the race I had and, you know, learned from it. So. How long did it take you to pick yourself back up afterward? Um, I mean, not a crazy amount of time. I don't dwell on things that long. Um, you know, I, usually if I'm dwelling on stuff, it's because I'm, you know, hoping to do well for, you know, because I want to make sure I'm, I'm, I'm doing whatever I can for the people who support me. But in general, like, you know, after a few days, it's like, okay, well, you know, it happened. How do we process? And after a couple of weeks, it's like, okay, well, what's the next thing? Talk to me about the training leading up to that race. You mentioned a couple of times how you went into it tired. What did you do differently in the buildup to Atlanta that left you feeling that way? Um, so the biggest thing was, is like one big thing is my mileage is not that high, which is, uh, which is something we're definitely going to work on. But, um, you know, uh, I think for the majority of the last 10 years, most of my, um, weeks weren't over 80 miles. I, I mean, I probably have a chunk of them over 80, but definitely zero over a hundred. Um, so we, we, we sought to kind of increase the volume. And then one thing too, was just the, the frequency of marathon workouts that we were doing. Um, it was, it was just a lot for my body to handle. It wasn't necessarily that we were doing some kind of crazy thing with the pace because the, the paces were on, like for one, what I had been achieving, the paces were right. It was just a volume load that was getting to me. And, and so one thing we probably definitely hurt me was, was we did a really big bulky 18 mile, um, kind of progressive cut down run. And then four later, four days later, we went into the Naples half, half marathon, um, and had an amazing day, was able to cut my last mile down to 420 or something like that. But that was like one of the nails that kind of went into the coffin on, you know, how well I was going to do at the trials. What adjustments did you make leading up to the marathon project? I don't think you raced between the trials and the marathon project, certainly not a longer race, but I'd love to understand how you took the lessons that you learned from that buildup to 
Atlanta and applied them to what is now your personal best of 211.05? Yeah, so the biggest thing is, is like, um, and again, like I, I trust my coach and he he was pretty deflated. He gets a lot more deflated than, than I usually do. So he, he was just questioning, hey, what, what did we do wrong? And he eventually just came to the conclusion that, hey, we were we were trying to do too much. We we were trying to, you know, keep up with the guys running 110 and have all this like, um, you know, just history of training. And, and that was not the right approach. We need to focus on what your body can do and build from there, um, especially um, since we only had about 10 solid weeks where we, were, we knew we were running the race. And so it, it went back to like, hey, what's the fundamentals? What do you need to get in and what can you handle? So we didn't do nearly as many marathon specific workouts. And we, we just gave myself a lot of time to recover. And, you know, obviously, if you could have fit in more than then you, you go to the race if you're feeling good with, with a much higher chance to hold that but we say hey um let's back up um put in what your body can handle and and take that into race and see what happens so how are you navigating the pandemic after the trials with races getting canceled left and right the marathon project itself was a new event and didn't get announced until a few months prior, which created an opportunity. But prior to committing to that, I'd love to get into your headspace a little bit and understand how you were thinking about all of this uncertainty and lack of opportunity. Yeah. And again, like I, like I go back to, I'm, I'm usually laid back. So I know um, it did kind of stink because like um, a chunk of my money was coming from races at that point. And so I'm like, Ooh, snap. Well, what am I going to do there? But um you know, I I took it as an opportunity to just really get in good training without worrying about anything, right? And so I was, I want to say probably a couple months after the trials, I was just hammering all my runs. Like there were some days where, you know, I have two or three miles under 510 just for a normal run. Um, and that, that ultimately made me tired towards the end. So we ended up having like, not so good of a training, like, um, like a couple months where it was just like, okay, you just need to recover because your, your body's kind of toast type thing. But, um, yeah, it, it just allowed me to just worry more about the training than trying to get stuff in. And it's not to say we didn't try and target stuff, but, you know, either we would target things and they would get canceled or, you know, my previous times just weren't fast enough and, and races weren't letting me in. So, How are you and Dante thinking about the next year or maybe even the next two or three years. Your best success is arguably in the marathon. You made some breakthroughs last fall at 10 miles and 20K. Do you think at any point you might go back to the track and try and take your 5K, 10K PRs down, which in turn might help your marathon? Um, explain that to me. Especially yeah. So right now, my again, my coach is always thinking about the next step. So he thinks that it's going to be a good idea to to focus on the track end of things. Um, it sounds like we um, most likely are going to be doing the um, 15K championships. Uh, so we're going to factor that in as well. But if we can, you know, hit a 10K time, not because, you know, we're focused on it, but because it's really good training. 
um, then that's kind of the hope right now. So, you know, cross your fingers to, to hit a good enough time to qualify for the trials. But, um, yeah, we're going to work on that kind of stuff in this phase. And then it's looking like we're going to go back, um, to a marathon cycle, um, after we target a, a fast, um, 10 K. How big are you dreaming in the marathon? Um, yeah, the sky's the limit. I'm not gonna, you know, put limits on myself. Um, I know, uh, even on that day with the marathon project, I was a lot faster than, than what I ended up running. And, you know, my coach is confident in that. And it's one of those things is like, well, you know, next race, let's maybe go for a 209 and see what happens. But, um, moreover, it's like if my fitness changes, right. And, and it's showing that I have 208 potential, I'm not going to be like, well, let's at least hit 209. Um, but there was a little bit of pressure of like at least hitting a time in the marathon project, just cause we were struggling getting the races. But at this point it's like, Hey, you know what, if I'm showing, I have new potential, then that's where I'm going to go. Even if I haven't, you know, hit the times like previous to that. So. I love that. It's a new frontier right now for marathoning in this country, especially on the men's side. And the marathon project was a big step in that because you had all of those guys running under 210 and then guys such as yourself making big breakthroughs and getting under, you know, very high marks like the Olympic standard. And I mean, what, it was like three years ago or so, like you ran 211.05. You were one of the top. 10 runners in the country and now you run 211.05 it's a great time and all of a sudden you're like maybe 20th on the depth chart if you look at it right now and I mean I think that's just got to keep you hungry but also give you the confidence that much more is possible not just for yourself but for American marathoners on the whole. Yeah, no, it's definitely an exciting time just in general for running. Um, again, so many records are being broken, and I think it's just because, you know, people have more time to focus on it. There's not as many distractions. I mean, the, the reasons there's not many distractions isn't good, but the fact that there's not a lot of distractions mm-hmm. um, is really good. And so I'm excited to see what people kind of produce. It's ridiculous because um, I just remember, like, even, like, at the high school level, kids are getting so so fast it's absolutely insane like i'm just shocked at some of the times i'm hearing that high schoolers are pulling off but um yeah no it's just an exciting time to to be a runner and exciting time to just be in the mix of stuff so take me back to your beginnings where did you grow up uh so i grew up in three rivers michigan um i was born in chicago heights but I think, you know, maybe a couple years after I was born, my parents kind of moved to Three Rivers just because they wanted a, a little bit safer environment for me and um, just our, our family in general. But, um, but yeah, grew up in yeah, Three Rivers, Michigan. So, Were you a pretty athletic kid? Um, I don't know if I like it. You know, it's hard to tell if you're if you're like thinking, I guess if you think about it, you could tell if you're athletic or not. I did attempt baseball when I was like nine or 10 or something like that. And initially I was like, Oh wow, this is going to be awesome. And then it only took a week for me to hate it and not want to do it again. (laughs) Um, you know, my parents kind of like forced me to do it and finish it, but, um, I was not, it was not my thing. So, 
Um, I know I was fortunate to kind of get into running, but I guess it only made sense because, um, yeah, even how I got into running was uh, we had this thing in gym class called the mile and a third. And um, it started like we started in sixth grade. And so initially I'm like, oh, my goodness, I'm going to do my best. I'm going to do amazing. And I think I finished like 30th or something. And so, yeah, initially I'm like, wow, that sucked. That's awful. I'm going to do better. <laughs> and like even during that year, I honestly honestly didn't even do that much better in fact there was there was a qualifying time and one of the times i'm like well i'm just gonna kind of walk and i'll get the qualifying time and i vividly remember them like doing a countdown and i'm like there's no way i'm gonna make it like trying to sprint to the end and um yeah so i don't know if if it's because my body changed or because i wanted it more than everybody else but in seventh grade i started doing a lot better i was either first or second and people are like, hey, you should run cross country. You should do track. And I'm like, no, I don't want to do that. That sounds like a you know a whole bunch of energy I don't want to worry about. But, you know, after enough people started, you know, saying it, I'm like, okay, fine, whatever, I'll try it. And so in eighth grade, I went to a couple practices and went into a race and finished first for the team. And, and um, yeah, some, I think, top 10 in the race. It was like some invitation or something. And then at that point, I'm like, okay you know what, maybe I'm not that bad at this. And that kind of, you know, shot off my, my running career. Back to the mile and a third in the sixth grade. It sounds like it was more just trying to, to better your place that was attractive to you than it was enjoying the act of running itself. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was, yeah, I would say like initially it was like, you feel like you're going to do well and you're going to beat all these people. And it's not like it doesn't, it didn't work out that way. Like obviously as a kid, you know, you're competing with, with however many people you can compete with. But um, yeah, I think um, again, I, I must've been like maybe crazy or didn't understand stuff because clearly in seventh grade, that wasn't the case. Like there were so many times where there are so many people who might've been able to beat me. They're just like, nope. I'm like, what do you mean you're not going to try? And like, I didn't, my brain didn't process that. I'm like, I, you're supposed to give what you have. Like, I, I don't know. Like, it's just kind of how I thought as a kid. So. Were you always a pretty determined kid? Um, you know, I don't know if determined, like we, I had a, me and my friends, we like, I guess I was more of the non-crazy one, but I had some pretty intense friends growing up to the point where it's like, I look back at it and I'm like, why in the world did I hang out with those kids? But, um, you know, and we would always go and do crazy stuff. I think in when I was, which I, for some, I don't know why I thought this was a good idea, but me and my friend decided to bike like six miles and it was like through the city across a whole bunch of traffic and stuff like that just to get to get to Myers so we could go and buy something from there and we were I want to say we were like 11 maybe 12 or something like that and he luckily I didn't get grounded but he got grounded and I'm like what the heck happened He's like yeah probably stupid we did that and and so yeah I, I guess we were ambitious or I was ambitious with what we did but it was just like more of the mentality around the you know people i hung out with i guess so were you pretty competitive with other people from a young age or was it more about just trying to be better than yourself or place higher than you did in the mile and a third the year before 
Um, I mean, I guess if you go to like to like video games and stuff, you know, I I hated losing in video games, so I was like, okay, it's time to go. Let's figure it out. Um, there was one game I used to play. It was like Star Wars Battlefront Two, and I would be like, I don't care. Go and 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 you guys can be on a team. I'll be on my own team, and let's see if you can still beat me, type thing. And and that was always fun. And and yeah, I don't know. I guess it was uh, highly competitive stuff. So. Going a little further down that line, I read a quote from your coach in an article, and one of the things he said about you that stood out to me and is relevant to this part of the conversation is he said, he can race. Let's just dig into that a little bit further. Have you always been a good racer? Do you like the chess match of it? Yeah, I mean, again, I like pushing myself and and like that's one thing about running too like you you can argue there's not a lot a crazy amount of technical stuff though like when you get into some of those track events like hurdles and stuff it's crazy technical but um you know it's that idea that it's 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 your will um you know versus like what your body's kind of telling you right or you know in some cases like you're you're fighting against somebody else so um, just being able to get into a race and say, you know what, it's time to go and just test your body is what I gravitate towards. And like, don't get me wrong. Sometimes I'll do that. And I'm like, why in the world did I do that? I am in so much pain, but, um, yeah, a lot of the time it's just awesome that, that I have the opportunity to do that. And, and uh, I'm not necessarily a person who's going to back down from somebody. Sometimes I'll be cautious, like, okay, this is not the right time to be making these moves. But, you know, when it comes down to the last little bit of the race, if I have something in me, I'm going to push hard. I'm going to try and dig as deep as I can to finish. So. Did you have one of those moments during the marathon project? Um, I don't know if I had a dig there was a moment where there's i guess two different moments where the first one was was um around 17 or 18 and at this point i had been running a decent chunk of the race by myself um i was lucky enough to group up with a few people but for the most part i was running running by myself for a huge chunk of the race and so like around 17 or 18 i i'm like oh my goodness it was like this big old wave of fatigue came over me and i'm like i I I am nervous because I still have so much left, and and if I'm getting tired now, how in the world do I finish at this pace? Um, but I kind of just said, "Hey, I'm going to take it one mile at a time, and and just find a way to finish." And so I lucked out because, like a mile or two later, um, I think I saw CJ, which I'm getting better with names. I'm pretty sure it was <laughs> CJ. I saw, um, it, it, which another story on that. But anyways, um. So I saw him and he was probably like 300 meters ahead or something like that, maybe 250. Um, and I'm like, okay, if I just stay focused on him, then maybe I can close the gap. Maybe he was even less than that. I don't know, just my perspective on stuff. But um, so I stay focused on him and I was able to catch all the way back up to him or catch up to him. And it was great because I'm like, not nice. I'm working with somebody. I'm going to be able to, you know, feed off of them and going to push me through the last bit of this race. But in that process, I completely missed my aid station. And, um, and this was like a crucial point. Cause I think it was like 21 ish or 22. I can't remember the exact number. And I'm like, this is there. That was not the point I need needed to miss. fuel. Yeah. And so like at that point I'm like, 
well, skip it. I missed it. You know, I just have to, you know, accept the fact that I, I didn't get it and find a way to keep pushing through. And so that was just another mental check to say, hey, you know, well, eight or not, you have to finish this for yourself and, and be able to, to find a way to get through. And, and I, I probably was filling it towards the last mile or two. But at that point, I started passing a lot of people and was almost done. So I was able to kind of finish up. So I'm not going to let you off the hook that easy what's the other story about cj that you alluded to oh so it wasn't it wasn't a story about cj oh i feel kind of bad it was uh it was reed fisher and i'm so so bad with names i kind of feel bad now but it was the 20k championships and they it was um him gerald mock and and parker stinson and they had put a gap on me and another guy and uh, I feel bad. I don't know that guy's name either, but I have put a huge gap on us. I'm like, Oh my goodness, how in the world do I close this gap? So, and I don't know how big it was, maybe eight, 10 seconds or something like that. But it, it was to the point where it was like, it was questionable whether or not they were going to be caught back up to, especially since I think there were only like three miles left in the race. And so I, um, I go and I, I don't know if because of the downhill or I just started feeling better than they did, but I, I was able to close the gap with like a two-ish miles to go, um, maybe a little bit less. And so I'm pretty sure it was Reed Fisher who who did an, another initial surge. And so I'm like, well, I'm feeling good. I'm just going to go with them. So I kind of went with them. And and then I think he faded, he faded a little bit. So I'm like, well, I'm going to keep the charge going so I can kind of break everybody and, and make sure I don't have to worry about a race at the end. But then I, I finish and I finish runner up, obviously. And then I get to the... Um, I get to the interview and stuff and I'm just trying to explain the race. And I just went and I'm like, yeah, I, I caught up to the group and, and yes, yeah, some guy like surge, I don't know who it was, but, um, I passed him and just kept going about my business. <laughs> so. uh, I'm terrible with names too. So I can completely appreciate your, your perspective on that. I either forget them or I jumble them or confuse someone with someone else. So I'll let you off the hook with that. Yeah, it sounds good. If he listens, I'm uh, sorry about that. I don't know if he's uh, even paid attention or knew about that. But That's an honest mistake. Uh, back to your childhood. I know you grew up with six sisters. Where do you fall in that order? Um, I'm second to youngest. And are you the only boy? I'm the only boy, yeah. What was that like for you growing up in a mostly feminine household? Um, I don't know. I didn't think too much of it. Like, obviously, yeah, the women definitely were in charge, especially the case for my mom. She was a uh, fry, firecracker, to say the least. Um, and yeah, so it was, I don't know, like, you don't think about it, right? Like, you, like if I had like a couple um, brothers or something, then I could compare it. But it's just like, well, this is the way it is. And um, you know, I, I guess I had my friends and stuff that, you know, offset that. So it wasn't like dealing with my sisters all the time, even though some of them would get on my nerves, especially when we would do stuff like, uh, you know, get a popsicle or something. And then right after like, I want a popsicle too. I'm like, no, you're just asking that. Cause I said it, but yeah, no, it was awesome. Were any of them runners or are any of them runners? I uh, know they, they are not runners, um, which, you know, not, not trying to you know insinuate anything but no they're they're not runners and um 
Uh, yeah, one of my sisters, she probably could have been a really good runner, my youngest sister. Um, but she, she, she didn't really like it. I don't think she tried for like one year and, um, yeah, if there's anybody who could have been, you know, really good at it, I think it would have been her. So did they get what you're trying to do with the sport? Um, I think ultimately they're just really supportive of me and, and just running in general and, and what I've been able to accomplish. So, you know, I don't know if they get running or they, 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 they see the vision I'm trying to cast, but I know they love me and they, they're supportive on whatever I try and do. So. I know that both of your parents passed away from cancer related illnesses. When did your, when did your mom pass? Um, so she passed in, in college. Um, so my senior year or my, my, um, my fifth year. And how has her loss shaped your life since then? Yeah. And yeah, like just the, just with losing anybody, obviously it's, it's not easy. And, and especially with cancer for, for anybody who's had to deal with that. I, I, I'm very sorry. Um, because you just, you just kind of have to watch the decline and, and hope that things change. But, you know, every day you're, you're seeing that things are getting worse. And, and so like the, just, I guess the, the biggest thing that came, came from that, that situation um, was just the, the support of my team and, and really being able to feel what, what one I was a part of and kind of what my coach was trying to accomplish. Right. Because we, we had this saying, um, which was, um, babes be a blessing everywhere. And so we would try and take that, that, that kind of mantra and try and, and try and, express it right and and show it to other people or or just be loving or or try and like you know go to races with a with a different mentality and so um when you're in the moment and you're doing that you kind of get and i want to don't want to say desensitized but it's just something you're doing and Mm -hmm. and you really don't know the impact of it but like when you're on the receiving end you're like oh my goodness this is this is what we're doing and and it was insane because there there was that basically was going to determine whether or not we were we were going to be able to go to nationals in fact like literally we needed to run that race and um, it was the same time as my mom's funeral or I guess memorial service and just unanimously without any hesitation, they're like, no, we're not going to the race. We're going to the um, service. And, and wow. you know, that just very was very impactful to me and just wanted to, I guess, made me want to make sure that I was doing the same and, and kind of like help change my perspective just in general, even though like I, I had operated in that way it was just like okay this is what we're we're potentially doing for people and you know i want to keep it up or i want to keep that heart going so that's really powerful and i really like that mantra is that something that you still think of today babe be a blessing everywhere um not so much just because it was so tied to our my college experience but you know obviously i i think in some ways i i i still have that heart and what I'm trying to accomplish and, and the things that I'm, I'm trying to do. So when did you lose your dad? Um, so I lost my dad, um, like three and a half ish years later. 
Um, and so at this point I was out of college. Um, you know, I was kind of into my running, um, I guess my amateur career or however you'd want to say it. And, um, yeah, in, in the same scenario, he had cancer. It, he, he honestly had, he had cancer technically before my mom did. Um, but he, he kind of went into remission and then it kind of came back cause he, um, unfortunately he, he didn't, take care of himself the best after my mom passed away. And, um, yeah, I guess it, it kind of caught up to him and, and yeah, so he kind of same process and, um, yeah, so that, that was a little bit different. Um, you know, obviously my, my friends and stuff, um, let me know, Hey, uh, we're, we're sorry that that happened. And if there's anything we can do and, um, you know, again, I just felt that support and, and I just kind of remember, um, just back to when mom passed and, and how I felt and, and, and how I got through it. So I, I tried to use that to the best I could with my dad and, you know, obviously it, it, it stinks and just losing anybody, like I said, just is never easy, but it's, it's making sure I'm, I guess, making sure their, their deaths mattered in a way mm. that can, can push people forward. So. Well, I'm sorry for both of your losses. I lost my mom prematurely and very suddenly when I was not long out of college. So I can relate on, on some level, and it's, it's really hard. But hearing you describe how your teammates were there for you, first when your mom passed and then again after you lost your dad, that really speaks to me because even though I was a few years out of school at that point, all of my teammates who were in the area came to the services and a couple of them flew in from, you know, other parts of the country. And it really helped me appreciate on a, on a deeper level, as it sounds like it did for you, just how important those bonds are and how much of a a family like atmosphere you can find in, in your teammates. Yeah, and and I would say that just in general for running, right? I mean, it's it's a different atmosphere um, overall because you know it's it's one of the few places where you can you can come together with a huge group of people and you might have different goals, but you're all supporting each other and trying to trying to fight for the same thing. And not to say you can't do that in in other sports and, and other ways, but just, it, it's, it's just in the nature of running is the community and, and, and finding a way to, to have this common goal be achieved by everybody. A couple more things before we wrap up this conversation, you still have a lot of running left in your legs. I think you've got some faster marathons in your legs, but looking beyond your competitive career. I mean, to this point, you've worked as a coach and a substitute teacher while focusing on your own running. Do you have any post-competitive uh, career plans that you've put on the back burner or that you have kept the wheels in motion in the background on that you hope to throw yourself into fully one day? Um. Not exactly. Again, I'm a guy who kind of just goes with the flow and it just, um, you know, 
seeing what the next opportunity is. Um, I have a lot of friends who do adventure races, which I don't get at all. You know, I'm like, Hey, I want to get to the race. I want to push myself and I want to be done. I don't want to get lost for five hours or, you know, go through a ridiculous amount of mud, but you know, maybe I might do one of those or something when, when, um, the more competitive scene kind of goes on the, on the um, back end of things, but we'll see. Last question before we wrap up this conversation. And this is the first time that I've asked this, so I want to see where it goes. But what does running mean to you? Um, I guess the biggest thing is just an opportunity to give back, right? I mean, I again, I enjoy running and I enjoy pushing myself, but making sure it, it's it's bigger than that or, or bigger than what it gives to me is, is pretty important. And, you know, I don't know how long I'll be fast and I don't know what kind of impact I'm going to make, but if I can even, you know, change the life of just one person for the better, then, then I'm going to be happy with, with how things turned out. So, well, thank you. That's the first time anyone's answered that question for me. And I think others are going to have a hard time topping it. Nathan Martin, I've really enjoyed this past hour plus that we've been talking. Thank you so much for coming on the Morning Shakeout podcast. Yeah, no problem. It's been awesome, man. You, you do a fantastic job, and I'm definitely glad I, I came on. Thank you so much for listening in to the Morning Shakeout podcast. A big thank you to New Balance for sponsoring this week's episode. I was recently able to get my hands on a pair of the new 1080 V11s, and I was shocked to love them even more than I did last year's V10 model. New Balance claims that the 1080 offers the ultimate ride, and I'd have to agree. This is the best-fitting shoe that I own by a landslide, and the Fresh Foam X cushioning feels super comfortable underneath my feet. It's lightweight and flexible, but also responsive and durable. Basically, the perfect trainer to log most of your miles in, which is exactly what I do. I wear it on most of my non-workout days and for long runs too. So check out the Fresh Foam 1080 V11 on newbalance.com and consider adding a pair to your rotation today. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend about it or throw up a post on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook and encourage your friends and followers to subscribe to the show. You can also leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you're listening to this on, which only takes a minute and it really means a lot to me. A couple more things before we wrap up. I'd like to give a shout out, as always, to my longtime producer, John Summerford, who makes every episode of the podcast sound clear and amazing. Also, thank you to Jeffrey Stern for running the AM Shakeout social media accounts and Chris Douglas for handling sponsorship sales. Last thing, if you are digging this podcast, I think you will love my newsletter. It's also called The Morning Shakeout, and you can subscribe to it at themorningshakeout.com slash subscribe. Every Tuesday morning, you'll get my take on what's happening in the world of running, along with a collection of things that I've been thinking about, reading, and listening to. It's a quick read, five, 10 minutes tops, but it will give you plenty to think about throughout the rest of the week. Again, you can sign up to receive it at themorningshakeout.com slash subscribe. Okay, that's it. I'm Mario Fraioli, and this has been another episode of the Morning Shakeout Podcast. 